this is official. Like it's like it's legit. At one point we got a little countdown on the machine now. High tech redneck stuff. Oh yeah, and then it's funny looking at you guys on here because you I feel like I'm on some radio show. You got the the big flat disc and the fancy mics and the headphones. Yeah. Tell me roll. Yeah, I feel like we're left out here, Brad. Yeah, right? <laughs> you can't even see. We need an upgrade. Poor old houndman. We had to I get, can't even see. <laughs> I had to have my wife come in here just to get me set up so I could even talk on Yeah. That cougar I got I to use... too far in the mountains. Cougar got to use the real deal stuff there at the field trial until I screwed up that podcast. <laughs> this is like <Yeah>. take two. <laughs> we, we did one. Jason went to California and did that podcast and... You know, I should just fire him now. If if his job I was bringing have. back good podcasts, he would. He was not. He did not proceed to his job potential. Well, um, you can't judge it. I mean, you know, you might take a percentage, uh, you know, just dock in there. So you know, he's 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 made several decent ones with one mistake. You know, maybe you give him a second right. chance. It's yeah, kind of kind of like that dog that maybe left the tree once as a puppy. You know, you got you got to <laughs> let it come in again. Jason, did you before we get started here? Did you get that text from Andrew this morning? Yeah, I did. Do you so, have it handy? Because I want to read it. To these we, should, guys. we should do that on the podcast. That's a good one. So we get okay. We we got Andrew. He's a he's a he's an employee, and uh, he's always he's always a little eccentric. I like the guy. He's not a hound guy. He's not a he's not a dog guy. He's a really likable guy. If you if you ever get a chance to talk to him, Super so this nice. morning we get the text, and I don't even think nothing of it because it's like. There's always something with this guy. You know what I mean? I love Andrew. He's he's a funny guy, but he's like, my engine is making a very. Oh, sorry. My engine is making a very, and he's like capitalized very loud, strange sound this morning. And I'm afraid to blow up my car driving it in. I'm going to get my mom or dad to give me a ride to work. I'll keep everyone posted. Which he could have so, easily translated to my car sounds like a tractor. Yeah, yeah. Right? I didn't think nothing of it. I'm like, man, you know, so he's not a car guy. So I'm like, yeah, he didn't put any oil or whatever. Well, anyways, we get a, a text that he's like, he got his car parked near the auto zone off of, you know, it's about halfway from where he lives to our shop. And uh, he he chickened out. So I guess he started driving it into work and like halfway through, he, he must have chickened out from the sound. <laughs> and I'm thinking like knocking pistons or something. You know what I mean? Like my mind is, is he's going to run the damn thing out of oil. And I think that's what he was thinking. So anyways, he gets in and uh, he gets in the shop. He goes halfway there, parks it at the auto zone. And his dad gives him the ride the second half of the way. And uh, we're sitting there talking and Mike's like, you know, there's like, what's it sound like? He's like, it just sounds like loud, like loud. And Mike's like, like, uh, like a race car. He's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a race car. And so we're like, go uh, Google. If somebody steals my catalytic converter, what a car sounds like. And so we're playing this Google sound, like what, what a car sounds like without a catalytic converter. He's like, that's exactly what it sounds like right there. That That's what my car sounds like. And I'm like, well, once you go back to that car, look underneath it and see if there's a metal piece missing. <laughs> Are you missing a chunk of something? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Didn't he have a guy try to sell him like a generator? Yeah. Like yeah. some creepy dude walking by. Uh, that's who stole it. Guarantee he, it. He's from Portland. Strike number one, right? And uh, Bingo. This was a couple weeks ago. He goes, I, he was late. He was late because a guy was trying to sell him a generator. And I was like, this morning, I was like, you go find that guy with the generator. <laughs> you don't need a generator, but you need a Cadillac converter. He's probably got your Cadillac converter. You trade that generator for a Cadillac converter. Oh, anyways, 
that was our start to the day, Brad. And it kind of went downhill from there for a little bit. It's been a wild today for being a little bit slower. Oh, yeah. This, this new recording. Yeah, so we're doing a new... You guys are guinea pigs. Um, Brad, Brad Mombart with us. Yep. We just threw you in the fire. How long ago did you get the official text? Could you do a podcast? Uh, this morning. I don't know what time it was. I was <laughs> like four I was, hours. I was doing maintenance on a building, and I was actually being uh, El Manuel labor today, mowing grass and clipping weeds. And you needed an excuse. And Michael, Michael Ewing. How do you spell your last name? Yes, Ewing. Ewing. I call it the wrong yeah, name. Ewing. Yeah. Just call him Cougar. It's Cougar. easier. Yeah, that's what all the hound hunters call me, Cougar. <laughs> yeah, and you're out of California. Yes, Northern California. Yeah, I live. No. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like North Central. I live. I live about 25 miles north of Yosemite Park Gate. Okay. I have no. So clue I'm, uh, I'm up in the mountains. Most people just assume California, town. and we just write the whole thing off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do but, they? Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, I'm up in the mountains. Uh, my house is about 3,300 feet elevation. And, you know, it's I get a little bit of snow here once in a while, not too often. But what do you hunt? Yeah, mostly? people think of California. What was that? What are you hunting over there? Um, mainly hunt gray fox. Okay. Most of what I hunt, yeah. I used to bear hunt until uh, 2012 when SB 1221, they outlawed it in California. So. Since then, I strictly became a varmint hunter, fox hunter. 2012? Yeah. 2012, yeah. That was wow. when SB 1221 was. Time is that, fast. That was a rough time driving oh, yeah. out of camp that year. I mean, that was... Because I, I was it, hunting NorCal, and I remember like just all the kids that had been staying at bear camp, you know, they've been coming their whole life and explaining why you can't come back. That was That was rough. Yeah, it's definitely not the same. How long have you been in the dogs? Uh, my whole life. Um, I'm a fourth generation houndsman in my family. Um, we've had hounds in my house ever since I was born. So I don't really know a life without hounds. Have they always been the same dogs? Or you been um, I've been hunting the same line of dogs since I was probably 10 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I've had different ones on and off, but every dog I have now, except for a couple that i'm hunting for other guys um they all go back to them same dogs i had when i was 10 years old okay and how would you describe them just like um well originally when i bear hunted these dogs they're they're really good strike dogs um they're like they're just a grade walker dogs what they are you know they, they're kind of a lot of they got a lot of white on them most of them but um then when i started fox hunting i bred some running dog into them but the tree dog side of it was the same line that i've been bear hunting with all along okay. and all i did is i went through a bunch of running dogs and got some trigs some running walkers i tried july's and everything till i find the ones i wanted and then bred them into the, the hounds i have most every dog i got now has running dog into it i got some some that are half but most of them are about a quarter right on brad yeah how long have you been in in the dogs? So I'm like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So I'm I'm I on know, my that's, tenth. That's why year. I'm picking on you now. Yeah. Like. So I'm on my tenth year. I had no okay. family that had any hounds ever. I mean, we barely had a, a house pet dog. In fact, I had cats as a kid. 
Just better than you. There you ever heard the last podcast? You. But there was a joke about me and my parrot showing up. So yeah. <laughs> so you know, you got better credibility with a cat than I did with a with a parrot. But oh yeah, I don't know if that oh, that, that podcast probably gonna come out before this one. But yeah, they were picking on me pretty hard on that. To my credit, though, the cat that I the one that I grew up with that I did have, I was I had a BB gun as a kid, and I was hell on most everything that moved but <laughs> that cat actually would go with me and hunt because it knew that i was gonna i mean i was like the meal <laughs> chuck wagon man that thing it was just probably following like, me if around. i don't if i don't get along with this guy he's gonna turn on me so he's probably like i better make a friend with you oh no but i'd shoot birds or squirrels or whatever and that thing would just go snatch them up and eat them so we were like a good pair we just there you wandered go. the woods and whatever but yeah that was that was pretty funny i started with training cats and now i got dogs Dude, Maybe. you should think about that though. You might be on to something. <laughs> well, I don't know. And then later in life, the cats and I didn't get along quite as good after a while. So, yeah, you leave them home too long, they get a little bitter at you, and you come home and there starts to be scratched up stuff and pee and stuff in your house. That that kind of ends the relationship pretty quickly. You don't <laughs> like it. What uh, what made you get into the dogs? What was so yeah, I, I uh, you know I always liked going hunting with somebody with that had whether it was bird hunting or or watching. Uh, we we my dad had some buddies that were in law enforcement, and we actually got to go and watch and, and get involved a little bit in the police dogs. And I remember watching any any dog that was well trained, had a job, and and whatever was always impressive. So then I just kind of bumped into the right guys that were hound hunters and got to go along a couple times. And, uh, and that, I don't know, it's, it's a miracle that I stuck with it because I mean, I went, I think I went like seven or eight trips over the course of like three or four months and never saw anything in a tree. (laughs) We chased dogs all night long in the snow, in the cold. I mean, got picked up different places and, and, and this was before GPS and tracking I mean, they had the telemetry check and collars, but yeah. the guys that I started with, they didn't even have shock and collars. And so, I mean, they, they turned their dogs loose and we, we did a lot of dog hunting, looking for, looking dogs, for dogs the rest of the time. Yeah. And so that's why I always laugh. I'm like, God, I can't believe I, after going and then no offense to those guys, cause they did help me a ton and, and taught me a lot and a lot what not to do. But gosh, it was a miracle that I kept going. Cause it was just like, seemed like every time we went, we'd it was a train wreck for a while. It it always that's why we, that's why we got our train wreck story. We always got a train wreck at the end of this podcast because there's a lot more train wrecks, and it seems like they're in the beginning, especially. Um, yep. Now you met Mike, Michael. Do you go by Michael or Mike? Either one. People call me both. So whatever. Anything. Cougar. 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 Yeah. Cougar. Yeah. Mike. Uh, you guys whatever. met. Uh, uh, so we uh, we bumped into each other a couple of years ago. We were going to the field trial here, the OUSDA field trial, and Cougar and another guy were coming up from California. And I, uh, Wes York, who puts on the field trials, he called and said, "Hey, got a couple guys from California that are coming up." And I was going over a day or so early, and. These guys, my uh, Cougar and the other guy hadn't been there. And so he said, hey, why don't you meet them at my house and they can just follow you to the field trial grounds. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. So so we met at, at Wes's house and and then uh, discovered we had the same kind of truck radios. And so 
Cougar and I just chatted on the truck. We burned up a couple of truck radios for about four and a half hours on the way over to the field trial. That's how we met. Yeah, we should have recorded that. That would have been a good podcast there. There's a lot, (laughs) a lot of uh, conversations. I know for me, especially in the beginning of W, like a lot of my conversations were over a CB or over a radio just out hunting in the woods. A lot can cover a lot of ground on those radios. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was funny. We, we pulled up to the field trial grounds, and we the, the other kid, Travis, was following us, and he had a radio, too, and hardly heard from him the whole trip. Like, he just was totally silent. And Cougar and I were just going back and forth, back and forth, all about all kinds of stuff. And we get to the field trial grounds, and that kid jumps out of his truck and goes, God, that should have been a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Go back. Well, well, let's just do it again. Why don't you guys – we'll just put the CB scratch in. And... Yeah, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but we were – I mean, you know <laughs> – asking about yeah four hours yeah you uh you now is that the first field trial you come up to uh Mike? no i've been to the prineville one prior um but that was the first one i came up there in legrand that was over in legrand yeah that one was you kyle oh, yeah. Legrand, yeah yeah kyle, there's some yeah, stories where... out of the legrand one that that's a that's a good group of guys over there um it's kind yeah. of on the east side long ways though for me yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's a drive, man. I plan on going back, but I did a lot of traveling last year to field trials. Well, maybe one day we can get like the W jet and we can just fly around and pick everybody up and, and we can just all. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> get a helicopter. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm getting old. I don't like driving as much. I, I'll drive up in the woods, but man, those long drives get rough. Did you uh, yeah, get a the... chance to meet Ted Cougar while you were over there? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did meet Ted Craddock. Yes. Yeah, he's a really neat guy. Uh, yeah. one of my goals is to hunt with them one of these days and we're going to try to make that happen. Oh yeah. Cause that's kind of who got you in and really started. Wasn't it Rad? Well, it was, he didn't necessarily get me started. It's actually funny. I got started with these guys local here around Bend and you know, I, I had been hunting for, well, uh, to back up, I actually, one of the guys that I started with said, hey, let's buy an older dog. You should buy an older dog to help you get your young ones started. Because I just started with a couple of young dogs, just uh, puppies, and trained them. And uh, and so I was, they were, I don't know, eight, eight, six, eight months old type dogs. And so this guy says, let's buy, a, let's get an older dog. Well, Ted Craddock was selling an old uh, hound named Kane. He was a red, just a grade red dog probably had more walker in him than, than Redbone, but looked a little Redbone. But anyway, so we bought that dog. Me and another kid bought that dog, and uh, we split time with it for a while. And the other kid finally got his young dogs going where he thought he was good enough. And so I bought the, the rest of the half of him and kept him for, I don't know, a couple years. So he helped me get started. <clears throat> and, I mean, that dog taught me as much as anything. I mean, that you know, trained by Ted, the, the thing was nearly bulletproof i mean he didn't run garbage he tattled on every dog i had he knew exactly what we were doing <clears throat> so it was yeah. it was a good learning experience so that can be helpful like starting out oh yeah uh, tremendously i mean I, okay. I say it all the time i'm like god if i had to start over again i i would i'd do the same thing i think i would buy yeah. an older finished you know dog that just knew what it was doing for what you wanted to do with it <clears throat> yeah. excuse me and uh and go from there. But anyway, uh, that's so how Mike, I get in the meeting. Ted was change that. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, so Mike, you do some training too, don't you? 
You some dog training? Yeah, or? yeah, I hunt dogs for other people. So, uh, have you ever had? Um, if you had to start over again, what would you? What would your number one thing you tell somebody? It's like Brad said: buy a dog, and let the, the old dog teach you. And uh, that's the hardest thing is a new person getting into it and getting a a pup. With the pup, don't know nothing, and neither does the person trying to train the pup. You know, so yeah, I understand yeah. everybody wants to make their own dog, but just like Brad said, you're better off buying a dog and let the dog teach you. See, I, I didn't learn that quick. <laughs> I was like hard headed, <laughs> and it it took me a while, but it did once I once I did. That was exactly what happened. Is you get an older dog that kind of lines you out a little bit. Um, yeah. I was it's curious. tough to train a, a young dog, you know, even if you do know what you're doing. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, just starting out and having no clue. Yeah, I know. It was, we did a podcast with Ted. Um, and he. Real early. Yeah, it was, it was like our. Episode two, I think. Was it number two? Yeah, he did really it good. It was we like did. in the, yeah, the first handful. Yeah. yeah. You were over there Brad with him good. just recently, Brad. I know you invited me over there. You guys went and did a big hunt with him and a bunch of family and stuff. How did that go? Oh, it went really well. So we, we, uh, he was, he's kept track of the, I mean, I know it was on the podcast, but he's kept track of his catches over the years and in a, in a journal. So he's got documented all of his trees and, and from clear back when he was a kid. Yeah, I was going to say not just the years, like back into the sixties. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I mean, if you see that, I've seen the book, I mean, it's duct taped together. It's this old, like it says cash on the front of it and it's this old green, why does it why does it say cash? Well, it's a it's, it's an old book. it's an old account accounting type oh. of journal, so it has all okay. the little lines and stuff in it. Yeah. And anyway, that's the book, but it is duct taped and taped together, and has notes scratched on the front of it and whatever. It's a pretty it's it's like a relic. It's a piece of history. But anyway, he has kept track of all of his catches. So he was approaching four thousand bear trees, mm-hmm. or or bear catches, and so yeah. Cause he's done a lot of research and whatever. So, so the, the big thing was, is we wanted to be able to be there for his 4,000th bear tree. And there were quite a few people that were interested, some family and some friends. And we had a, one of the biologists that was, uh, had done a lot of research with him back in the day, Jim Akinson actually came and, and went with us as well. So, so the challenge to this is I've been literally trying to plan this since at least a year ago saying, okay, we're going to all try to be there for his 4,000th bear hunt. Well, this guy, you know, he catches between 130 and a hundred and last year was 172 bears in a year. So you never know how many years. How, it was old, gonna, how old is he? He's 80. He'll be 81 this August. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's an impressive guy. But uh, anyway, so trying to, trying to, organize this gathering was was a challenge and so you know because you don't you can't really set a date so it's just this up in the air like okay i'll let you guys know when he gets close well he had literally caught no bears this we had kind of a late spring and he had quite a bit of snow and they kind of had some cold weather and some snow late and he just couldn't get around and and uh, so he had caught nothing up until just I don't know, like a week before we end up going over there. And then the caveat is he only needed seven bears this year to get to 4,000. Right. So it doesn't leave you very much time to, to project. Once it, once he, once he turns the switch on, he, he I mean, it's, it's happening. Oh, yeah, right? The guy He's hunts not... seven days a week. So, you know, you, he could, he could go out, catch three one day and catch a sow and yeah. a couple of cubs or, or three more the next day. And, and now he's almost there. And so you're just yeah. you're gonna have to drop everything you got going and get there for this four thousand hunt, which I had 
tried to plead with him like, hey, listen, you're, you're going to have to give people a chance to get there, you know, because you, and, and he's, and I said, now don't, don't, don't lie to us now. You, you're going to go out, if you catch more than the 4,000, you're you just, I don't know what we're going to do. Then he goes, oh, I won't do you that way. I won't do you that way. <laughs> but anyway, so, so he gets, so, so he doesn't catch the bears. Then all of a sudden he catches three one day, he skips a day and he catches two more the next day. So now all of a sudden it's the, the hunt is on. So I said, hey, can you take a couple days off? Give us a chance to get there for the weekend. So we rallied all these people. And luckily we had a... You know, he don't at 80, he, I don't know how many more days he's got, but you're just asking him and you're like, hey, can you just take a couple days off? And yeah, and his calendar's get getting full. Yeah, and, and he's like, well, what do you think? Should I go hunt for one more or should I take the rest <laughs> of the week off? I'm like, well, it's up to you. But I said, I, I, I think you could probably safely take the rest of the week off. Give your dogs a rest. Yeah, he'll go up there and catch two, two in one tree or something like that. Oh yeah. So the bottom line is, we everybody goes. We we get showed up. We 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 had some really nice landowners that let us stay at. They had a big lodge and and a big ranch that we were able to go to there, and and so we had a great place to stay. And and uh, so we went. Everybody shows up Saturday morning, goes hunting, and so we got to catch two bears to get to four thousand. So right. we take off and. We don't go very far and we get a strike and, and, and we had, the, the cool part was, is there was about, I don't know, five or six of us that, that are people that had dogs. And so I had organized it so that everybody could just bring one or two dogs and we'd just mix them that way. And, and so everybody had a dog in the race, which Ted wanted. I said, well, we'll just come and spectate. And he goes, oh no, no, I want you guys to come hunting with me. So we uh we get a strike we turn loose and we we tree a small bear and everybody including his great grandson and his son and his son's wife and uh i mean i don't know we had a quite the myriad of people there but anyways we all make it to that first tree and of course you know we didn't spend much time there because we're trying to get to four thousand, which is the next one literally right. while we're standing at that tree it starts raining and as I'm sure it's not news to anybody listening to this, but the rain can mess up with your tracks from the night before and make it difficult to find one. And, you know, it started off as kind of a sprinkle. And then David Walker had his giant F-350 and got stuck in the mud after that first tree. So we had a little time. Jer- David's from the coast, too. I mean, he should know how to deal with water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But this it, it, that Eastern Oregon mud can be a little bit, it's, it can be <laughs> bottomless sometimes. But anyways, we got him out of there. We go on and we just grind hunting in the rain. I mean, at, at any point we were, I mean, I thought we were going to have to call it and go back and just wait for the rain to break and maybe go for an afternoon hunt. Yeah. But as we were making our way around. And this was a sa- this was a Saturday? This was a Saturday, yeah. And so yeah. we we finally get to this road that has a big, pretty deep snow drift in it. It's on a north slope. It's got a couple foot at least deep snow drift in it. And I'm, I'm in my new Jeep hunting rig, which with the balloon tires gets around pretty good in the snow, but we got all these other people following and pretty normal pickups that aren't going to get through this snow drift. And so I said, well, maybe I can mash it down for everybody. So I start driving through though. Well, one of my dogs starts striking. There's a track in this snow that looks to me like it's probably a day old at least. And so I'm not paying it much of attention, but this other guy riding with me says, Hey, you know, that's probably not that old. It's been dumping rain for two and a half, three hours. That track maybe was made today. Yeah. So we finally decide as a group, like, well, let's walk some dogs down there and see if we can make anything of this. So Ted turns a couple, and we all grab some, and we walk down in there. Well, sure enough, they 
cold trail off um, down into this canyon and off to go and it's a it's a rough start it was a you know it was not a runaway race by any means and so now we've got five or six pickups stacked up on this side hill road on a super steep deal with a giant snowbank and now we got a race going away from us as any bear race is right it's always a challenge to see how you're going to get there but yeah. I can go through the snowbank and stay with the race, but we were afraid everybody else following, we may end up winching every single truck out of this canyon because of the side hill slope and the snowbank. So I decided that everybody else probably should go around. So I send everybody else around. Well, then we go down and we're trying to stay with this race. Well, conveniently, well, everybody there that's trying to spectate and be part of this 4,000th race has gone around the top of the canyon to come back down. Now the the bear actually jumps and they bay on it, whatever. And so I'm me and one other guy are standing down there like, oh my god, we're we're missing everybody's missing this, you know, this whole deal. Right. But luckily they showed up just in time and and uh, bear made kind of a loop on a hill and whatever and, and treed in the rainstorm. I mean, it it was raining good. I mean, for Eastern Oregon, it was a it was a significant rainstorm. And so everybody made it to the tree and and you couldn't have rode it up any better rarely right i mean you tree and in, in mixed conifer forest it's pretty thick we get this really nice pretty good sized bear and it's in a nice fir tree with a what i mean it's like a magic gap in the limbs where this thing's standing you can see it perfectly there's yeah. enough room in the forest where we could get everybody standing together and get group photos with the bear in the background and Ted oh, and his cool. great grandson, it really cool. makes it, and we get all these stuff. It was really, it, like you say, you couldn't have scripted it any better to work out for his four thousandth tree. So, so oh, then we cool. we uh, rounded it up and went back to that lodge and had a a good afternoon and a dinner and just kind of BS and whatever. And, and then we presented him with a a belt buckle. We had a belt buckle made for him for the four thousand bears. And, Ted's a I, mean, I like well, he's one of my favorite at convention um, yeah. to, to visit with. Like I said, he's a he's a fun dude. He's always in a good mood. He's always. Uh, oh, I mean, his stories. If, if when you're out hunting with him, if you can get him rolling on the right subjects, man, I mean, oh man, I wish I recorded. <laughs> Sometimes the wrong subjects too. Oh, yeah, is fun yeah. too. But, I like the wrong subjects. But, and always comedy, you know. I mean, he's always putting a good spin on stuff and whatever. And we we get into some good friendly competition over whose dogs are running in front. And then I remember when he got his first drive track. Right, I go over and I help him set it up, whatever. And so the zoom to dogs feature where you can get the whole dog race yeah. on one and it's all zoomed in or whatever that he thought that was the greatest thing. And we sat there and poked fun at each other the whole, I mean, for like three or four days, it was, Oh, my dog is totally, Oh, you, I am just kicking your butt all <laughs> over the mountain. And then my dog would zip out front. He's like, you programmed that to, to, to go past mine. And Oh God, we had a good time with that, but he's been a, just a super mentor to be able to, go hunting with and be involved with and I actually get to breed some dogs with him now and and uh, he's he's taught me a lot in a short period of time so I'm very grateful I know we need to do we need to wrap up another podcast with him and I want to get like we need to get like Jerry Meyer and some of those other board members in there yeah um, for sure zip yeah. zip Fenrix and there's a ton of them that we need to roll around and get um, Cougar what who's your who's kind of your mentors down there in California 
Oh man, there's several of them. Yeah, well, you, of course we're gonna let you know, we're gonna offend with... one person. You're gonna leave out. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I started, you know, grew up hunting with my dad, and then uh, you know, hunted with uh, Rick Fasoni quite a bit. Um, you know, a lot of the, the you know the older guys around here, um, Ralph Calden, Alvin Withy. I mean, there's a bunch of them. I've hunted with just about every old timer around here, basically. You know. Yeah. I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, the guys that got old, you know, too old to where they couldn't drive no more. I'd pick them up and take them hunting and spend, you know, do that for, you know, every weekend. Me and Alvin, I, I'd pick him up and take him every weekend when he um, got to where he couldn't really drive no more. And, uh, you know, he still had dogs. I'd go get his dogs. And, you know, I've done done that a bunch. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if I really had a single mentor. I've had a bunch of different ones, you know, spend a lot of time with those older guys is, is... yeah, I, I don't, there's not very many weekends that I didn't hunt growing up or still don't, you know, I still, right. uh, just about every weekend or even during the week, I even go during the week after work, I'll go out for, you know, three or four hours, try to get home by midnight at the latest, you know, I, I do that three or four nights a week still to this day and still <laughs> makes work the next day. So you know, I spent, I've spent, <laughs> a lot of time in the woods my life you hunt a lot in the morning or evening i mean i hunt mainly at night just because of work all, all nighttime you know the weekend sometimes i hunt in the morning but majority of it's at night you know on gray fox yeah so jason he's he's one of them night owls too i i can't because we have yeah. to be we got to work day yeah, jobs yeah. when else are you gonna go yeah. hunting yeah. and the either go back to heaven. the daylight yeah no kidding and they don't run near as good <laughs> no yeah, you're done know. You make an hour yeah, drive and go catch can, a five-minute fox. Yeah. I want one that runs for a couple hours. I don't like the ones that run for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Brad, uh, Brad came over and fox hunted with me. Stayed for, uh, I don't know, what did you say, three or four days? Yeah, three or four days. I think I'm still yeah. brush-whipped from being there. Yeah, we uh, where I, it's pretty brushy where I live, where I hunt. And we, uh, <laughs> we treat a fox every night. And we crawled on our hands and knees to several trees and... Brad got to experience the brush. <laughs> How did that compare to the coast for you, Brad? Oh, I mean, honestly, the coast is brushy, but the but the kind of brush that they have, that manzanita and whatever that else is there, that it's it's hard sticks. I mean, every clothing item that I wore over there was ripped. I ripped jeans, sweatshirts, t-shirts, everything I had. My socks even got ripped. I mean, I hadn't <laughs> crawled that much since I was a toddler. My knees were sore from three or four days, but yeah, it was fun. We we, was, we caught game and and had a good good hunt. We met the dog mix, dogs mixed good. Mine mine didn't really know what the heck they were doing, but they went along. But yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, the very first night we were right by this big nasty canyon. Actually, they call it Cougars Canyon because I used to when there's a lot of people hunting in there, I'd walk my dogs down in there just because there's somebody on every road. It seemed like so I just go from the nastiest place where nobody'd be. So they start all the hunters around there call it Cougars Canyon now. And <laughs> so we have going that in one. There and the fox, <laughs> yeah, they let me have that one. So when I was walking, we were driving in. This fox ran across the road, and I looked at Brad and I go, "Man, it's hard to pass up one like that." But that's a nasty canyon, and. <laughs> So that's we, my canyon and know, i being, don't want to go down there idiots, yeah we we dumped loose on it and sure enough we ended up in it wasn't at the bottom though we were kind of side-heeled around there but that was how long did it take us to get crawl to that tree oh god it had to be an hour <laughs> hour and a half and it was only like 400 yards and i'm standing there he he sees yeah. this fox run across the road and i come around the corner and he goes hey 
one just ran across the road because it's not a very good spot and i'm looking and going well we're in the woods we came to catch fox let's dump the tailgates you know what, what's the deal i don't understand and, he's, a, he's a that's my canyon i know about it and i don't want to go down that yeah yeah uh, i understood better funny. after it was over yeah. yeah i try to stay away from there now that was my younger days when i hunted and uh, went straight into that canyon now i try to get far away from my can <laughs> yeah you, you've seen about as much of that canyon as you want to see yeah i've been in there plenty of times <laughs> oh, that's good but then yeah. i left then i went over to brad's and we uh we went cat hunting over there and stayed for three or four days there in the snow and uh we tree end up treating a couple cats caught actually we caught one on the ground down in the desert and then treed one but it was fun it was a totally different uh experience than hunting over here yeah, you know, it's more trailing, snow, looking for tracks. You know, here I just put the dogs in the road and rode them, and they find the track. And you know, it's more of a jumped race. You know, once my dogs hit a track, they don't hardly trail too much, and it's just you know a jump race. You know, basically, and sometimes you can run the fox for five minutes, sometimes you run for five hours. It just depends on the fox that you get lucky enough to hit. You know, right? Let's hope for a good one. Yeah, I haven't messed with the fox yeah, I, too much. Um, just not from experience. I run them a couple times in, in on you know, I think on accident mostly down there in southern Oregon, but um it it sounds interesting. Like I said, I haven't messed with it a whole lot, but um, Yeah, a lot it's a lot of fun. They're definitely hunt. a challenge to tree. Yeah, it's a good high fat you know, pace fast race. You know, it's a lot of action. You know, gotta have dogs, dogs that on that. I right now I'm hunting eleven dogs, but not all of them are mine. Um, I got a couple dogs I'm hunting for other people, but I don't know. I've been down to one dog before and I've had, you know, 16 before. So it depends, you know, what I got going on at the time, but what's the most dogs that you've seen in a tree though? Like when everybody gets together, cause it's an astronomical I've, number. I don't know how many, but I've seen, I've seen a bunch. Um, but one year at Elk Creek, all the guys got together, Eric, That's Jesse, and Ty and everybody. I think there was something like 54 dogs at this tree. They were, Ran this fox for like three hours and treed it, and every dog made the treat. I think oh, it was yep. it was in the fifties, fifty four. I think they said it was, but it was and there was quite not something. one dog leashed out, not one grumble, not one fight. No, nothing. It was insane. Yeah, it was everybody's hunting dogs that's been on tons of fox, and they were all you know nice dogs. It was no uh, no issues at all. So when um. So you're talking about in the beginning. I asked you on your on your dogs. So you mostly grade walkers. Um, what made you start going to the running running dog blood? The fox mostly. Yeah, because you know the so fox what, that run for. So I guess what was if if uh, if I were to structure it in a way like, what was happening that you were like, man, I got to change something. You know what I mean? Was it so a to me a regular tree dog? You know they're they're plenty fast. If you know you get the right one but they don't have the stamina so any tree dog can run a fox for two three hours and then they run out of gas and then tough fox they cannot train i don't care you can have the best tree dog i've seen it a million times they just run out of gas they cannot run for hours and hours and hours on end i mean jumped running i'm not talking about trailing or baying you know i'm talking about running with everything they have mm -hmm. um and after two or three, you know, about three hours, them dogs were falling out and getting, I mean, they're still going, but they weren't, they didn't have the fox jump. So I started trying to talking to some of these other fox hunters and they're all like, yeah, you get some running dogs and stuff. So 
I started getting running dogs. And one of the first ones I got, which is my best dog now, Cotton's mother, she was a runaway. I mean, she would hit a track and you couldn't stop her. She'd run it for hours. But as soon as they treat, she'd go off and try to find something else. So I didn't want that. So I ended up breeding her to a dog named Luke. And that's the dog I have now, Cotton. And yeah, he's my best dog I have now. And uh, so it worked out really well. And then um, I got a ended up getting a full trick. What, what, what was a, it that um, what you bred her? What, so when you bred her, I, you, she she wouldn't hold a tree because once it was treated, she was like done going for. Yeah, else. she came out of Texas. She wasn't a pup when I got her. I got her. She was like a two three year old dog. Okay. And when I got her, she um, you know been on deer and coyotes and no telling what else you know because back there they most of them dogs are pen dogs you know they run them in the fox pens. And so I just wanted to see that she could run a track and was a really good track dog. And I just wanted to, you know, breed, breed to that. And, uh, and it worked out really well. You know, that, that cotton dog I got, he's, you know, pretty nice dog. You know, he, he's super fast. He's a really good strike dog, good track dog. The only thing he's kind of weak at is locating. He's a good tree dog, but he's not a really a good locator. I mean, he has treed several parks by itself, but he's not, that's his weakest link is, is locating. But I got some other ones that make up for it. Um, but as far as striking the track, he is hard to beat. You know, and once he gets on a track, he pretty much leaves the race. You know, there's, you know, he's uh, pretty hard to run with. Hmm. And then after and his that, mom was the same way. And so is it just the one dog or have you got a couple dogs um, I, like that now? Yeah, I got a couple of dogs that are like that. They're not quite as good as he is. I have his half brother. His name is Finn. Um, he's a really good track dog as well. He's pretty fast. He's not quite as fast as him, but they're all in the same race. You know, Cotton's leading the race by 50 to 100 yards, and the other ones are just right behind him. Once in a while, another one will pull in front of him, but he's, uh, you know, he's just a, a one-of-a-kind dog. You know, I've tried to find some that can run with him and, and be like him, and I just can't find him. I've bred yeah. him several times, and I've got some pups out of him. They're all still too young to really tell, but they all, uh, they're all doing very well. Everybody that has litter mates, the ones I have, they, they like them a lot for their age. Um, but, you know, they're, uh, and it, like I said, it's the, the treating dog side of it is the same bloodline I've been hunting for years. And so I know what that side is. They're really good strike dogs, good rig dogs, but they just weren't that fast. You know, that's the only thing I didn't like about them. So I, this is what I did is bred that running dog into them. And, and so far it's, it's working. That's good. That's I. I mean, I went down there and hunted with him on those fox, and I, it, I know there's a different style of dog and whatever, but the the endurance was impressive. I mean, we didn't get too many long races while I was there, but we definitely had a couple. And my my dogs were just like he said. I mean, they they just couldn't hang in the long stuff. I mean, I I do well on long races in the summer, you know, but but they're not as fast paced. I don't think as as those and the country that brush. I mean, I don't know how the, those dogs have got a tough go in there, but. I'm actually going to try to try one of those pups of his, of, of Cougars, and see if I can get it to do the stuff down here and, or up here and uh, see how it works out. Give it a shot. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think the faults are? On the running dogs? Yeah. Just what you, I mean, uh, main, the main fault that I see is the treeing instinct. They're not bred to tree. Um, okay. But I've had some full running dogs. I had that dog that uh, Sonny Turner owns them now. His name is Beetlejuice. Uh, he uh, he was a he would locate really good tree good. He was a full trick papered trick, and uh, he located tree was fast. I mean he was he was a really nice dog, 
And, um, but they're hard to come by the ones like that. You know, most of the running dogs you get will tree once another dog starts treeing or once you get there, but it's the locating part that it's hard to get them to do. You know, once the track is gone, they don't, they don't, it's not bred into them that it went up. They don't know it went up. Yeah. And you know, you, you can make a dog tree, but you can't make them locate. You know, if they if yeah. they don't want to locate or not bred into them, it is very hard to get them to do. You could you could try and hold them. Like I've seen people, you know, you, you like hold the dog and hold the head up, looking at it. You, <laughs> you see? Yeah, Been I mean there. that'll make them tree. Yeah, that'll <laughs> make them tree for sure. You know, every dog I got tree is really hard. You know, but our well, locating goes. I always just joke because I think everybody everybody you know has gone through that phase where you got this young dog and you're just like, please just tree. And just look at it. <laughs> and now I don't even try. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but, you know, once in running dogs, it seems like to me, once they're go ahead. And once they're like three years old, it seems like they finally been on enough game to where they click and start locating. And then mm-hmm. they get pretty good at it, but they're not like a tree dog where they're going to be locating a tree and a year old, you know? Yeah. That's super accurate. Yeah. They are accurate. When they tree, you're going to go to the tree with something in it. Like you're not going to walk to a tree and be a false tree. Not, I mean, it happens. Don't get me wrong, but not very often. If they're yeah. treated, it's, they believe it's in there. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. That's one good thing about it when they finally get one that trades, but everything else they have, I mean, they are really good track dogs. Most of the ones I've seen and they can hang on to a track, you know, um, when that fox makes a turn, you know, they can make a turn with it. I'm, you know, of course there's good ones and bad ones. just like every breed, but as far as, uh, the difference between a tree dog and a running dog, they have way better track style in my opinion than a regular tree dog on a rougher, you know, track. That's what they're bred to do. They're bred to run a track at full speed. Yeah. So the hate mail is going to start rolling in from all the tree dog. Guys oh yeah. Now. I get it all the time. I'm used to it. Uh, I we just go around apologizing. I just build these. I build these podcasts, and then I got to go apologize to somebody else. So we offend. That's the yeah. thing. About well, it all is. just depends on what you're hunting. You know, there's all kinds of different styles of hounds, and you got to get the style of hound that that goes with what you're hunting. If you're coon hunting, and yeah, you need a coon hound style. If you're bear hunting, you need a bear dog style, fox dog, whatever you're hunting. You need the style of dog to to accommodate what you're hunting. You know, of course, there's dogs that you can mix and match. I know running dogs that are good bear dogs and, and coon dogs or whatever, you know, I mean, there's exceptions, but in general, you know, it, it, uh, there's definitely a lot of different style of dogs. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think just cause they got a hound, they can hunt whatever they want with it. Yeah. It don't really work that way. Yeah. Y'all know exactly. I, I don't know. Brad, what, what would you classify your dogs? I mean, how would you, how would you explain them to somebody? more tree dog for sure i mean i i have one now that's got a little little running blood in it but not not a lot and uh, but mine are mixed i mean i pretty much everything i got's got some of ted's breedings in it crossed with other stuff and and uh, but mine are just mixed red bone walker little black and tan share just a shade of blue tick maybe in there on some of them but but some of the i don't know i'm i'm definitely starting to see though the there is some benefits like like michael's talked about with those that little bit of running dog blood in there with the endurance which you know goes goes really well with your hard running bobcats or the long bear races you know you need those dogs that can keep the pressure on for an extended period of time and i think the other thing 
um, and Michael has a good way of explaining it, but they're, they're a lot of dog. Those, some of those running dogs can be, they're hyper and high strung and they got a lot of energy and they need to be hunted a lot. I think I, I'm not saying they're all that way, but if, for a guy that hunts more days, you know, if you're going to hunt more than just the weekends and, and expect that dog to have the same level of performance, I feel like the running dog blood starts to get you to where you can run more days in a row and they, and their, their performance is at a higher level. Right. Yeah, they're definitely not for the, the weekend warrior. You know, they're a dog that has to be hunted a lot because they, like Brad said, they are high strung. They are raring to go. You know, that's all they want to do is run something. You know, they, uh, and they're, to me, they're harder to keep clean than a tree dog just because they get bored. You're out there roading for hours and there's not a fox around. They're, they want to run something, you know, so they just give in and they're going to, you know, want to run a coyote or a deer or something once in a while, you know, um, they are definitely harder to keep clean, I think, than a tree dog when I used to have straight tree dogs. Yeah. And they, and like I said, if you leave them in the kennel any length of time, they're going to drive you crazy because they want to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're for the guy that's going to hunt, you know, a lot and hard and keep them in shape and keep them, give them a job, you know, keep them working them. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. No, I, I, uh, I have, I don't know if I have experience with the running dog, like, I went down to Texas and hunted with some, and, and it was a whole different realm. You know what I mean? Hunting some of that, the, the bobcats down there with, with all running dogs. N- neat, you know what I mean? Like, really neat. Um, but, no, it's interesting. Like I said, I I can definitely appreciate uh, the high strung. <laughs> I mean, you let them down. That's what I see. You just let a bunch of dogs down. They're, just like, ready to go. They're all over the – and cool. Jason, I know, has got some of that running. I mean, he's into the fox and stuff. But wait, buddy, you, are yours mostly just tree hounds? Yeah, I'd classify them. Yeah, yeah, mostly hounds um, for the most part. I have, you know, the the tree in part, one of my dogs comes out of kind of the desert stuff. And she's not, I, would, I wouldn't call her a tree dog. You know what I mean? She's She's fast and, you know, but like I said, sometimes she trees and, trees like a million bucks and other times she's not you know she just doesn't have that that tree instinct or whatever you know but whether it's i don't know so but i'm like the worst person to ask on on breeding because i don't really I, I just don't breed i don't i don't follow it enough i don't chase it enough i i just kind of get a dog and go out and hunt it's there for 10 years yeah yeah well or i decide not to and then then it starts changing my mind but so I'm probably the worst guy to ask for dogs because I you're like, what do you got? I'm, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, dogs, four-legged so, ones. A red one, you know, so. Well, there's that. I mean, that's that's the beauty of the sport, right? I mean, every, everybody can do it at a different level with a different dedication, and, and there's so many little caveats, breeding and experimenting with different types of dogs and, and uh, you know, that and all the different game animals that you can pursue and, so, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of the neat part, right? There's, is, there's so many different styles of dogs that, that work well in a particular discipline or for a certain game. And that's, that, that's the fun part is can you, can you mix and match and make them better? But I, I'm always, I always laugh. I'm like, I have no business being a dog breeder at all. I mean, I enjoy <laughs> doing with Ted and, and talking about the history and whatever. But yeah. I, every time I'm like, oh, well, what about this? He's like, oh, yeah, I've done it. Tried it. 
yeah, that didn't work, you know, or it, you know, he's got some comment <laughs> yeah. about it all the time. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel is, is like, I don't, I just don't have the, I don't have the mental aptitude to, to follow myself through with that. You know what I mean? Like I'm honestly, I'm trying to be an expert in running a business and hunting is what I want to do for enjoyment. And so I'm trying to learn how to be a better hunter and all that. But, um, my aptitude to, to figure breeding out is like, I won't say it's zero, but it's like just above zero. I'm like, there's, right. there's people out there that got better ideas. I just want to take the dog and when it gets old enough, I'll take it in the woods and, and, and tinker around with it. Well, and I think like, a, I mean, to touch back on what Brad had mentioned too. Um, there's a lot of people breeding now that don't truly know what they want. You, you know, a good dog and a good dog is, is one thing. But if you don't know what you want and the holes that you need to fill, then how do you, how do you plan that breeding? You know, do you want that dog that's going to constantly look for an outbound track? Like, like these running dogs do where they want to make sure, or are you wanting to hunt like the coon hounds or, you know, something to fit your lifestyle? I don't know. Like I said, it, 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 for me, it's like, there's smarter people out there that figure that out i i can't that's the thing is i, I think there's a lot of science really to it i mean that the, the guys like you say the, the, the good breeders you know it's obviously a lot of trial and error too but you you got to want it you got to be invested in that trial and error process mm-hmm. and really studying the dogs you're going to breed what the traits are what their weaknesses are what you know because you know you can always say oh god this dog is the greatest at tree and or the greatest trail dog or the great really what you're trying to find is one without too many weaknesses in my opinion you, you gotta it may not be the greatest dog but it might be well-rounded that is the best breeder you know i don't know we've, yeah, we've had yeah. some really nice pups out of a female that she's not stand out at anything uh you know i mean she's but she's solid she's there all the time she knows what she's doing she strikes trails trees does all the stuff but she's not a superstar but yet Right. You bred her, and boy, I mean, we had some really nice litters out of her uh, that they just do everything well, you know. And just like you said, Jason, you 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 got to fill the holes, you know. Know what you're trying to. Are my point in it? I don't know if it's beating on Ted all the time. Is yeah, you're. I mean, we all have great dogs now, whatever, but they can always be improved on. And I think that that mindset if you're always just trying to see if you can can i improve a little bit on this or a little bit on that by trying this or mixing in a little different blood or going backwards to a dog that was was better i think that's the important stuff in my opinion now i'm far from any kind of professional dog breeder but to me it seems like that would be the focus is in order to make it better is that quest how how what is it that's going to make it better well, and all of us have been in this long enough. I mean, I think you make a real shift at some point. So you go from, yes, my dog's doing this positive, you know, and being pumped about it to all of a sudden you're like, where is that hole? And it's not a negative outlook on it. You're not like trying to discredit the dog or, or pick it apart, but you're doing it for the greater good. You know, if you are looking at breeding and things like that and it, I, for me, that was a really weird shift because I didn't want it to become a negative thing. But if you're not going to be open to the flaws, I mean, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Yeah. Well, not only that, you got to be willing to deal with the, the flaws when you get a when you get a litter that's bad. You know, you, you you have to be 
stand up enough to know what to what to do and what to, how, what to change next time. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I always think there's guys. It seems like there's. Um, do you know we were at um, we were at a, a cat hunting gathering one time, and I, I there's like different styles, you know, of hounds and hunting and stuff like that, and and uh, what I've seen, at least in my limited experience, and again, if I was just racially profiling every houndsman or whatever that showed up to a, a cat hunting event or whatever, but it was like you had the the running dog kind of group, and then you had the hound dog kind of group, at least in the cat in the cat hunting world. And and I didn't notice it. My wife did. She goes, did you ever notice, notice the, the, um, the running dog guys are all like cowboy hats, cowboy boots. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like that, that was just yep. who they were. It was like the cowboys. And then, and then on the, the tree dog side, it was like loggers, you know what I mean? It, it, a lot of, um, you know, they had the, uh, logging boots. They had car hearts on with suspenders. And it was like, a log, you know what I mean? They had to cut off logging. It was like they all come out of the logging woods. And I was like, I had never noticed that. And I don't know that there's any credibility to it. But my wife was just like, yeah, it seemed like it was like the Cowboys versus the loggers. <laughs> so I was like, what? Was no, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know if you ever, if you ever noticed that or anything, but I, I, I just never even put it together, but it was like two different types of, of hunters out there that, that, you know, and there's some mixing. I don't say there's, there are all the, you know, you can't profile everybody, but um, like I never picked it up. My wife was the one that was like, "Yeah, it was like the cowboys over here and the loggers over there." And then you know what I mean. Everybody that you could just almost she goes, "I could probably tell you what kind of dogs are running just by how they're they're yep. dressed at this event." Well, and you listen to them, and they all—I mean, like the lingo is a little bit different. The way the stories are told, I mean, like it's different. It is Brad's thinking crazy. over there. He's like, "Am I a cowboy or am I a logger?" <laughs> <laughs> you should be in Jack Southern Oregon. Jack of all trades, master of none. Little hippie, little cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What do you think, Michael? Cougar? Yeah, still there? I mean, there is kind of like that, you know. That uh, I don't know. I I know a few cowboys too that have tree dogs. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't say it's all with the same. I was just curious. Yeah. I've never been down south, but I never really paid too much attention to that, but. I guess I, I will start now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never paid. Like I said, I, I, I don't know if I have a cowboy at the filter and ask what kind of dog yeah, we got. And kind of put that to <laughs> start taking a poll. Everybody, I'm gonna start getting. I, I don't know if I gotta yeah. go apologize to the cowboys or I gotta go apologize to the loggers. I don't know which one. Probably both. I gotta, yeah. I gotta go do something. I'm irritate somebody. But something I wanted to touch on on the breeding part of it, yeah. like you guys are talking about, is. When I go to breed a dog, what I want to look for is the ancestors. I want to look at the parents. I want to see what the parents do. I want to know what, you know, if they good strike dogs, good tree dogs, what they do. I want to know the grandparents, even the great grandparents. And I want to look for common traits in that. And also the litter mates. I want to know what the, all the litter mates are doing. You know, if there's only one of them that's a good, you know, strike dog or a good locator or a good whatever and the rest of them aren't you know obviously that that one dog is good but that don't mean that you're going to get good pups like that you know yeah um sometimes you got to breed to the lesser dog that's like brad was saying more well-rounded that has um the better traits within the whole background you know all the ancestors um that that's what i look for like somebody tells me about their dog and want to breed to it i start. i don't even care about that dog i start asking about what their parents did and what the grandparents and you know so on to me that is how you get 
a, a line going and, and the traits that you want. Like I was saying, this line that I've been hunting, um, they, they make really good rig dogs. Um, I sold a female at that Oregon field trial to a guy named Philip Weaver, and um, she's just, you know, young female. When I sold her to him, started, she's running a tree, and I told him, I said, this line makes really good, you know, strike dogs. Well, he'd been texting me the last week and saying, you're right. He goes, she's my one of my main strike dogs because I think she's going to be my lead dog. He goes, I've, I've never seen a dog this young make that good of a strike dog on or off the truck. You know, that's just one quality of trait that this line has. I mean, they've had it for years. Um, Ralph Calden pretty much started this bloodline, I don't know, 50 years ago. And they all started from some Finley River bred walkers. And he just bred good dog to good dog. And then him and Charlie Kuntz were breeding together. And that's where I ended up getting it from, is some from Ralph and some from Charlie when I was a kid. And I've got some, you know, later on in life too. But that's basically where I got this line and how I started it. But um, they, uh, they're definitely very consistent. And they're very consistent on their looks. Most of them are white, kind of speckled up almost kind of like bird dog looking and they got, you know, a lot of them have a white frosted ear, half face, you know, there's been tons of them that's had that. Um, I got a yeah, picture. And that, that was one that thing, is, uh, see, I've never been a breeder, but one of the things that, um, uh, I remember like Don, he, he does a lot of that stuff from, you know, Jason down and he goes, if you can't tell it what a dog's going to look like or what you, you know, what you expect the dogs to look like, he's like, maybe you shouldn't breed them. You know, he's like, that's probably one of the easier things to kind of, figure out yeah. he's like you should know what the dog's gonna look like and if you're like i don't know what these things are gonna look like he's like maybe you shouldn't breed that dog <laughs> if you can't kind of have an idea you yeah know, i've heard so. a lot of people say looks don't matter you know and they pick them no. up but they do you know because if it's got that look you know that you want you know that one has that those genes and that blood in there you know you know that's the one that took strongly after the traits that you're wanting because it has the look you know that's all you can go by basically when they're pups you know unless you raise them up till they're hunting age to really see what they're going to do but uh you know that's how i pick mine is i pick the one that looks like the most like the bloodline i've been hunting you know and yeah. so far it works out you know there's been a lot of times where i picked the pups and and you know the day they were born and it turned out to be you know the best one of the litter i don't know if it's because it's been hunted hard or if it's just the, you know the, the way that uh it looked or what but there's been that several times and then there's yeah. times where you get one, and you're like, man, I should have kept that one. <laughs> you know, you look at it, and you're like, man, that grew up, and that dog looks good now. That's but. why, like, so breeders, you know, you think about it. If you breed a litter and you keep one pup, like, you better know what you're doing because your odds of picking one pup out of a litter that may not make anything anyway, like, you're taking really bad odds. That is not something to go to Vegas on for sure. Yeah, normally I keep two pups, you know, just in case something happens to one or whatever. But I get them to hunting age. I hunt them a little bit, pick the one that I like the best, and then I get rid of the other one, you know, sell it to somebody to start a dog. Sure. And, yeah. you know, I've had really good luck with that. Um, but may, ideally it would be to keep the whole litter, but that's just, that's hard to do. Yeah. No it's kidding. very hard to do. Puppies are a pain. Yeah, they're they're banned from my house, like puppies. <laughs> they gotta be old enough. No no puppies around here. Ten months, man. That's my new that's my new favorite. Just get it at ten months. Yeah. Before it learns bad habits. Pain for sure. Well that that is the biggest challenge, I think, in any litter. You know, when you send six, eight, ten, twelve, whatever it is, pups off to different hunters, different families, different and that you know everybody's got their different program their different way that they teach handling and and you know or not and and they're hunting and their pack and what kind of pack it is and what game they're hunting i mean it's it's tough to 
to judge a litter sometimes, I mean, I've found is, you know, everybody does something a little different. So just like you said, if you, if you really had the dedication, it's like Michael said, you'd keep the whole litter. You'd keep them till they were 10 months old or so, just like Jason says. And then you'd start to be able to pick out the real, you know, then you'd really understand what you had probably, but it, it's, it's a hard thing. And, and it's hard to get them. It's hard to get a whole litter to enough guys that hunt consistently enough to really know what what happens to them you know i mean everybody's life changes all the time and it's just it's it's difficult yep yeah yeah definitely well we're gonna start wrapping up here i think uh mike cougar mike michael cougar Ewing, <laughs> Ewing, I can't even say it right. Ewing, you got yeah. anything else you want to cover before we start shutting her down? You got to think um, of a good train wreck story we got to get before we oh, yeah. close out. Um, no, I think we covered quite a bit. I mean, of course, there's always more to talk about, but we might be here for half the night. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping with this new system, we don't lose everything, but, um, <laughs> you know, this is a new, this is the first time for us. I'm, I, We've been well, third time the charm. Before. I've already done this once. This <laughs> yeah, I'm not time, taking so. the heat for this one if it goes tits up. That's not on me, man. <laughs> yeah. I got his back. Brad, I know you want to talk about OESDA field trials. Oh, yeah. Well, real quick, we, we throw that in there. Uh, Jason, do you know when we're going to get this thing out? Uh, do you know what the schedule looks like? Mid-June, I, I probably. You, Brad, and then I cut you off. I'm good at that. Like probably second or third <laughs> week of June. I just was going to throw out there, we, we, uh, Central Oregon Hound Club is going to have their field trial on June 26th and 27th in Prineville, or just out of Prineville, and Wes York puts that one on. He actually puts on our OUSDA Eastern Oregon trial too, but uh, the Eastern Oregon OUSDA trial is August 21st, 22nd, and I, I mean, I don't know, field trials aren't, they're interesting, but man, what a, it's, a, it's a great spot to meet other houndmen, you know, old, young, I, new, yeah. experienced, unexperienced. Cool camp. I get that um, a lot. Like people are like, oh, where do I, you know, where, you know, new people ask, like, how do you get into it? You know, how do you, how do you meet people? How do you find mentors? And that is a really good spot to start building relationships with, with houndsmen because we're, we're kind of a tough group to, to, it's a tough nut to crack, man. And you do a lot of driving, like, you know, Brad going down with Cougar. And I know Cougars came up and hunted with us down here. It's, uh, you make those connections that are a lot deeper than most people anticipate. You know, it's not just, hey, how you doing? I mean, you actually do make some real connections with a lot of these guys. Well, and it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a long haul to some of them field trials. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I drove all the way to Utah and went to the Oregon one twice. I mean, I've been all over. Actually, Brad and I are leaving to go to Utah next week. <laughs> well, when you got to rent a U-Haul to haul all the belt buckles home, I mean, that slows your trip yeah. down a little bit, too. I, yeah, I have won a few buckles and a few uh, trophies. Yeah, I, uh, the funny part is I never even practiced my dogs. I just took them to the field trial and kind of bored. You know, I was at the Spenceville one the first time, and they told me, um, you know, they didn't have that many dogs. I'd go to all the field trials and just hang out with everybody and, and stuff. But 
I was there and they didn't have that many dogs. And they asked if I'd enter them. Well, I entered them and ended up winning. So I'm like, man, I, I didn't know my dogs even run one of these, you know? <laughs> and so I, ever since I've been going to a few, I got I know, a pile of trophies here, three or four buckles. And you know, I got the, the Oregon um, bear race buckle and the all around buckle. Uh, I actually set the uh, Utah state record for the fastest five dog pack to ever go around the race. Um, my five dogs went around and treed on the tree in two minutes, one second. The fastest time before that was two minutes, 21 seconds. Oh, wow. um, I won the tree contest. I won the senior dog race, the old dog race. Uh, I won everything but the bear race. And I should have had that right at the, the line, the two dogs I had in there, Cotton and Gunner. Went right to the line and they made a loop. They lose and they made a loop around. I watched the video and the dogs passed them and they lost <laughs> right at the line. And then Brad, Brad and I actually went to the Nevada field trial and uh, that was an interesting field trial. Is that the one at Tonkin, and, Tonkin Springs? Yeah. <laughs> and we had a little TJ Matthews. He's what, 11 years old. He was handling the dogs in the bear race for us. And we get ready to turn the dogs loose and we turn them out and I look around, I don't see Cotton. I go, where is he at? I never see him. I look back, well, TJ's still back there holding him. We never let him loose. He has Dixie, his dog, and Cotton on a leash. And I go, um, what are you doing? Turn him loose. And he turns him loose with the leashes on. And so they take off dragging their leashes through there. And this is, what, a five-mile race, Brad? And they're going through there, and they make a big loop and get tangled up, you know, Cotton. And then the rest of the dogs are already gone. And they finally line out with their leashes on. So we go to the finish line and we're sitting there. Well, here comes Brad's dog in first, Axe. And then Dixie coming second, dragging the leash. And then Cotton coming fourth, dragging the leash out of, I don't know how many dogs are loose, but 50, at least 30 or 40. Or eight probably. dogs. Oh, is there that many? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys should have <laughs> seen the leash. Started. The leash looked like you drug it down an interstate freeway for a hundred miles. The snap was all dinged up and the strap was all doing. So we gave that strap to the TJ Matthews and he still has it. We made him put all the plaques at Nevada. They give a, well, you guys probably made the dog tags, but the, the collar tags with, you know, that you finish first line, first tree or this or that, whatever. And so TJ still has that, that dog leash. He still uses it. And the snaps are just completely obliterated on that thing from dragging for like five or six <laughs> miles like, through the like, desert. It's like it was tied to Griswold's <laughs> station wagon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you didn't have to hike in two and a half miles to go pick up a dog. I know. I, yeah. I was surprised they made it out, much less when, you know. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Yeah, my dog had been been right in the middle mark. It would be like two and a half miles. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going for a two and a half mile hike in the desert. Uh, Yeah, these field trials are funny. You know, you go to all these different ones and how these different clubs in different states do it. Every one of them is different. Some of them will let you go to the tree. Some of them won't. Like the Nevada one, they put you on a trailer and they drive you, what, at least a mile or maybe two miles down the road in, in the and then they turn the dogs loose, and then you can't go to the tree until the judge declares a winner. Then they let you go get your dogs. Um, Utah is kind of the same way, but you can watch from a distance. You know, they're like 500 yards away. And California, you can stand right at the tree, and so is Oregon's the same way. You know, you can, they, they're, they're allowed spectators. Um, but over there, they, it's more like a hunting scenario. and You know, they don't want you at the tree to distract the dogs at all. Yeah. I wasn't used to that kind of stuff, but it, it worked out. But yeah um, yeah it's just neat to see how every club's different and how they run their field trials different yeah so how many states have you guys gone to so you went to nevada utah 
Uh, I've been to all over California, you know, all the field trials here, um, Nevada, Utah, and Oregon. Okay. Four states I've been to. In California, they have several different ones. I wanted to, but it was the same weekend as the Mendo Lake field trial. Yeah. Which I ended up, I went to that one. I ended up going to belt buckle there as well. Um, yeah, you got to go check out the Iron Dog, man. That is like, I, heard I can't about put that, my dogs yeah. in it, but it is crazy to watch. Have you seen yeah, it, buddy? I don't know if I'd enter that. Well, I went to an iron dog years ago down in southern Oregon. No, that's a that's a that clearwater iron dog. Deal, that's different. Where's this one at? Up at the IHA bank or uh, spring trial. Where they, they do, do, dude. So they literally take every dog that's entered and they all get around this tree. And when I say tree, it's like a pole with guy ropes coming off of it and four corners to hold it up with a stuffed coon up in the tree. Okay. And they turn loose every single dog that's entered at once. Like you've got 50 dogs just hammering this tree that's, you know, a two inch round piece of plastic pipe, it looks like, you know, or maybe it's metal. But that's wild. Like I thought this is going to be a rodeo and a half for sure. So what's the purpose? The last dog tree in the circle wins. Wait, wait a minute! Like, I'm... if your dog steps out of the circle, you're out. Oh, okay. So as soon as it steps out, they pull it out. <laughs> yep, they okay, step it out. Gotcha. Somebody grabs their dog, and they're out of there. They got guys standing around. At least that was years ago when I went to it. But that was really interesting to watch. I'd never seen anything like that. So, how many hours did the dog stay there in tree before it was over? They lasted a while, but it wasn't anything like that. You know, because there's distracting and there's dogs barking all around you got to think at a trial so i think a lot of it is the dog gets distracted a little bit and just steps out i could see that going where all of a sudden you get some really dedicated three or four tree dogs that just sit on their butt there never moving you about twelve thirty that <laughs> night you're all sitting there with beers around the campfire going geez i don't know this is ever gonna end yeah, yeah right exactly. we'll have to ask matt or jake when they come back on sometime oh, that, yeah. was, <laughs> that was wild well, I think we'll get this podcast like um, out in time, Michael. Which so, I, like I said, I think this is going to come out mid June, if I had to guess. You know, uh, we just did one with 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 uh, Ross, which I think will be before this one, and I have we got one that we did. Uh, if it hasn't come out yet, because you know, we're of course we're recording in, in mid May, so I'm, I'm working on editing one with that we did in Wisconsin with a bunch of gals, and. That was rough. There was a lot of, a lot of microphones well, going feel at the bad. same time. Um, but I, I think we're going to be able to say apology to her. Yeah. yeah, dude, he just stacks them up like cordwood. Um, and as the guy who's got to be the nice guy in PR, it's like, buddy, <laughs> just top digging yeah. holes. I don't win buckles. I just win shovels. I just <laughs> you give me that's a shovel. Why, that's why you pay me the big bucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> Deal with them. Well, how? What are your trials in in California? No, they do much in the summer. Uh, we have one Memorial Weekend, which is a swim race. Most of the ones we got left this year are swim races, but Memorial Weekend we have one, and we're also having a celebration of life for Butch Griffin after the swim race. Um, he's another guy that I hunted with a lot when I was a kid. You know, he taught me a lot. He was a very well-known houndsman. He sold a lot of dogs to people all over the West Coast, um, but uh, he he moved to Oklahoma and he he passed away there. And uh, so they didn't have anything for him out here in California due to COVID. So we're going to have a kind of a get together after the swim race for him on Memorial weekend. Yeah. Um, That's cool. But then 
after that, we're going to have a swim race on, I believe it's June 12th and 13th. That is uh, the last one of the year. And that's when we give out our buckles because uh, the buckles here is a series. You got to win uh, points at every spill trial and the dog with the most points at the end gets buckles. We give out a first, second and third high points buckles. That's for the California Sporting Dog Association. And we also give out a buckle for the dog that has the most barks per year from the tree contest. So you write down the barks for every event and whatever dog has the most barks for the year gets the buckle. And so after that, we probably will just have a few pot races, just fun days, you know, that, that doesn't count towards the buckle or anything like that. Just due to weather, you know, it gets pretty hot down there at the Galt Pond. <laughs> so depending on the weather, if we have those last races in June and July, you it, know. It gets so hot down there, it's not even funny. <laughs> like, let's not underplay that. Because I remember coming <laughs> home from my first race in Galt, and it, it must have been the Nemo Memorial race that one year. And yeah, I was, you know, whole game memorial. Yeah, I was literally buying bags of ice, blocks of ice, whatever I could do to shove it in my truck and keep that dog box cool. Because even at 10, 11 o'clock at night, it was well over 100 degrees. Hmm. Yeah, well, nuts. we used to start our races in May and end them in July. Now we try to end them in, you know, June. So we have two races each month just because we try to do it while it's cool. You know, it's it's not too bad now, but I, yeah, I agree. But in July down there at the Gulf Pond, it's pretty hot. Hmm. You were uh, I was talking with Brad. Uh, um, does Jason sleep under his trailer over there too? Oh God, yeah. So, I, 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 so I think he sleeps in sleeps in his truck most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> he knows me. But I owe yeah. I owe Jason an apology. I I heard on the podcast like last week or week before that when 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 it was still plum tree in du and we had the we had our ukiah field trial and i was helping that year and and the, and the check incident where the w checks got written out to the winners because you both donated extra money and and buddy decided to write checks to everybody. not only that buddy had made the flyers the had a banner and had some that some other printed goods at the dealer and Jason had just had enough and he was pissed. And I, I did try to take him aside and cool you down. And I, I do still kind of feel bad because we didn't do a very good job of trying to recognize you as the same, that, but that was, the, that was the week when we almost broke Jason. <laughs> you were paid off. No, that was the, that was the day that I was about ready to break someone. I have net. That was the only time I think I might've lost my cool a little bit. <laughs> little bit but i I did try yeah poor brad i I tried to pull you aside and give you the i'm sorry tour but you know my apology tour didn't work very well but (laughs) hey i'll take it now man (laughs) (laughs) no cougar he's right i probably sleep in my truck down there this is the first year i've had a tent at elk creek i mean usually i just always travel with that i've seen jason sleep in the hallway at his house (laughs) yeah go ahead man (laughs) yeah so i I went up there and well first off jason invited me up behind and he told me you know my door's always open and i all right kenny dran and i loaded up and drove whatever 10 hours up to jason's house and we get there about midnight you know putting our gps never been there before we pull up to this house and here we pull up and the porch lights on and the front door is wide open and so we go in there and they're all sound asleep the door wide open so he wasn't kidding he left the door open for us and we got him woke up and everything and so we went out hunting you know the next night 
Yeah, so nah, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Just, so you walk in there, like knock on his bedroom door, or I mean, what? Yeah, I was on I'm the like, couch. What's going on? Yeah, I kind of yelled, you know. Like, I guess we're at the right place. The door's wide open, you know. He finally. <laughs> you don't want to do that out. in my house? I yeah. tell you what, the door's not, or maybe it's, open, but don't become yeah. knocking on my bedroom go, door. You weren't kidding. <laughs> you said the door was open. He wasn't kidding. It was wide open. Oh man. And uh, <laughs> so after after we went hunting, you know, we hunted all night. And, think we treated a fox or two i can't remember you know how many we treated but that's it was just an all-night deal where we were just beat to death because we hunt, we drove up there and then just um, went straight to on, the woods we got home yeah we went straight basically straight to the woods and hunted and so we get back to the tr- uh, jason's house and we're all riding with him and we get out of the truck and just go straight in the house and crash out on the couch well jason goes to the hallway and just passes out in the hallway he never even made it to his bed like the doors of the pickup yeah, <laughs> left the doors of the pickup open, and one dog got bit in the ear or something, and it was kind of bleeding all over the side of the truck. And so Danny comes out in the morning, and she's like, what in the heck did you guys do? The doors are wide open of the house and the truck, and Jason's sleeping in the hallway. And you got guys sleeping all over the couches and the floor. And She'd never yeah, met she you guys what, either. What? Never met us before ever. You know, except we showed up at midnight, woke him up, and left and went hunting. <laughs> yeah she saw yeah, that truck was, and about was, lost it man because she's like why is there blood all over the side of your pickup and i'm like yeah, i have no idea did we hit someone a little nick you know <laughs> yeah that's just it that dog got nipped on the ear by a fox and just caught that vein just right and when he jumped up on the rig rail it was just raining <laughs> you know it was it was a little uh creepy she questioned the people that I invite after that one. Yeah, the door's She'd not always open anymore, is it? <laughs> no, we, we lock yeah, it till they get here. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That was a good hunt, though. That was a fun time. Yeah, it was a good hunt. We uh, we had a couple good hunts. I went up there a few times hunting with Jason. I should realize, Jason, we have forgotten about our one dog. In the beginning, we talked about one dog. And uh, so I... The I'm one like dog that changed in, things. Yeah, I'm like a bull in a china cabinet. So we're gonna, I want you're gonna have to remind me our train wreck. Circle back to it, and we need to do the one dogs because that's what I, I see something shiny and I forget. So we're gonna start with with Brad because because he's the new guy. He, he only well, you got ten years of experience, so you could probably remember your one dog better. So I want you to tell me your one dog that changed it for you. Well, it would have to be the the one that I I lucked out. The first dog that I got, I picked it up as a puppy out of the back of a pickup in the Sportsman's Warehouse parking lot. And Good choice, bad choice. Do you recommend doing that? Well, <laughs> if I had to do it again, I wouldn't because, boy, I was chastised by it. The, the guys that I started hunting with. They're like, what do you do? What, what did you do? What is that? What, why did you buy that? That guy doesn't know anything. Where did you get this pup from? Oh, that's never going to turn out. <laughs> you know, the, the total opinion deal. But I don't know. I mean, that, that dog just, he was a natural. He came, I mean, you know, I read books and took advice from people on how to train him and whatever. And he turned out to be a really nice dog. And in fact, you know, and then I took that dog over and started hunting with Ted. And even Ted's like, wow, that's a really nice dog. We've ended up, we have bred to that dog and had to do a bunch of research to try to figure out the history and where he came from, what was his lineage, and, you know, were there other dogs that were good behind him. But we've bred that dog several times now and been pretty happy with the pups we've gotten out of him. So he he's just responsible for getting me into it. I, I goes back to the conversation we were having earlier. He, he, he was a a really good dog and a nice dog, but 
the the breedings that we've done since and whatever. I mean, I, I can see the improvement. What was it that he taught you? I mean, what was it that um, I mean, just just solidified? I just have done ever. I mean, it, it basically he's just been along for the ride. You know, I mean, I, I started with him knowing nothing, and you know, yeah. just the connection. You know, I was able to connect with that dog. I mean, you know, I've had him in the house. I trained him. I mean, he he's a basically a house and family dog and a hunting dog and i mean i've i've done everything with him so he just he kind of taught he's been the first i guess you get a lot of feedback from a dog if you if you're doing your training right and you're you're satisfied with their you know not just their hunting ability but their personality and how do they react yeah. around home and can you control them when they don't have their collars on and they're not in the woods and you know and that's just that yeah. so he's just taught me basically he turned out to just be a well-rounded pet and hunting dog. And so learning like, okay, that, that works. You can have both, yeah. you know, I guess it'd be the, the thing. What about you, Michael? Do you have that one dog that maybe that, that changed you? Know, I always say that there's one dog that kind of maybe changes your trajectory, whether it's your breeding or whether it's you getting your hook. If you've been in it with, you know, four, four generations, you know, what one dog was it that that made you realize this is what you're going to do or, or whatever? Well, um, there's actually two dogs, but the first one. No, we can't change the rules now. Let's just... Okay, well, I'll go with the, the <laughs> Let's start the with the first one, one and then maybe we'll let you talk about the second one. <laughs> so the first one was Here comes a... Michael. He takes all the belt buckles out of the field trial. He takes all the first place, the second one. Now he wants to take all the dogs, well, too. Well, as many dogs I've had, it's hard just to get one, but. But, so the first one was a dog named Belle. I got her when she was uh, six weeks old, and uh, I, you know, she got old enough to start hunting. I'd take her, you know, my dad and, and me would take her coon hunting, and uh, you know, the first coon she didn't want nothing to do with, you know. And then pretty soon she got where she was running and treeing on coons. This was before I even had a driver's license. I would take my uh, bicycle after school almost every night. I'd get on my bicycle and ride to the slough with that dog in a flashlight, and I'd coon hunt for two or three hours a night and, uh, you know, running everything under the sun. And finally, she got where she was treating coons by herself and then, uh, you know, got a driver's license and started taking her to the hills and treating bears, and she just made a phenomenal bear dog. It's the smartest dog I've ever owned. Uh, she everybody that ever hunted with her, you know, really liked her. A lot of guys still to this day say it's the best dog they've ever been to the woods with. Um, treated, I don't know how many bears, hundreds of bears with her. And she was just the real deal from start to finish, you know, no BS with her. She was just as easy going, easy to train as a guy could get, you know, and it set her high standard from what I wanted my dog to do, you know. Um, right. She would treat, you know, bears by herself with the whole pack of dogs turned loose and they didn't even know where she went you know lots of times and yeah super she smart, just had like, good success with her just, just yeah she success. was just and it showed me what a dog's supposed to do what a good dog's supposed to do she's probably the first good dog that i've owned you know and yeah. I, I got fortunate to have it at a young age um she was so smart that it, you know if you lost her you didn't have to look for her. you know the dogs nowadays don't home as good because of gps collars you normally go find them but back then you know we didn't even have you know just tracking collars and you know telemetry collars and they would um i just leave and, and she'd come back to the camp you know if you couldn't find her she just when it got dark she'd come back you know yeah. you had, didn't have to look mm -hmm. for her at all 
And she died what at was her, 17 her name? years. Her name was Bell. Okay. You say Bell 17 Bell. years old? She died at 17 years old. I you know, kept her since she was six weeks. Only the old dog I've ever really kept. And actually, right before she passed away, I give her to a, a couple that just getting into coon hunting to use her as a coon dog because she still hunted fine. Um, but she just lose her voice real fast. So I wasn't coon hunting at the time, just hunting the hills. So she, uh, um, Steve and Kathy Filders, I gave her to, and they end up hunting her and she died at their house at 17. They had her for All right, quite I'm going to let you talk year. about your number two dog. I'm going to, I'm going to so, be nice. Keep her in this airspace. I don't, I'm normally not the nice guy. And Jason probably would be the guy, buddy, let him talk about it. He's, he's, he's messaging <laughs> me. He's like, be a nice guy today. So we're going to let you talk about number two. Okay. So the number two <laughs> dog, his name was Eli. And he is a half brother to the cotton dog I have now and a half brother Finn and half brother to the scooter dog that I sold to Sonny Turner. Um, he was out of this world. Good. I haven't seen a dog, you know, still haven't seen a dog to this day that was anywhere near the caliber of him on, on anything, bear, fox, whatever. He was a, uh, outstanding rig dog. You can be driving down the highway as fast as you can get your truck to go. And he'd strike a bear out of the truck and turn loose and tree the bear. Summertime, bob, tree bobcats, same way, strike them out of the truck. Um, you know, the dogs would, would hit a track in the road and be whipping their tails, trying to find the track. Eli would be moving up the hill. Pretty soon he'd bark two or three times and he'd be jumping and running. The other dogs would still be standing the road trying to figure out which way it went. He was a, a track dog out of this world. I've never seen one like him. And um, I hunted him, you know, until he was five years old. And I got offered lots and lots of money for him. Turned it down. You know, it was the one dog that I didn't sell. You know, after, he was the reason I, I sold all the rest of the other dogs and Sunny and those guys. Because I told myself, uh, I'll never do that again, turn down that kind of money. Because I got offered <laughs> a pretty good amount of money for him. Two months later, he uh, got diagnosed with valley fever. And about a month after that, he was dead. After a couple thousand dollars vet bills, um, been in and out of the vet. And pretty much it's an infection that attacks his lungs. And he died at five years old. But he was hands oh, down man. the best hound I've ever been to the woods with. And I've been searching for one like him to this day. I mean, I've had some that are pretty decent dogs, but nothing like him. He was yeah. unreal good in all aspects. I mean, the only problem, downfall with him, they all got holes, is he was um, so gamey that, if, like I talked about earlier, if he, uh, you didn't get him on a track right away, he was going to find something to run. He didn't care what it was. You know, he wasn't yeah. a clean, solid, broke dog. But he was a strike dog, rig dog out of this world. I mean, he was really, really a nice dog. And the, what was his name? His name was Eli. Eli. Do you tell him he was number two all the time, or you, you let him think he's number one? Yeah, well, you always got to tell him they're number two <laughs> for sure. But, yeah, he, he was hands down the best hound I've ever been in the woods with. Perfect. The, the, the story, I need to tell the story about your, your plum tree truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, breaking it in. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, well, now it's Buddy's truck, so, there. Buddy, this is what yeah, happened. This is before? Yeah, this is be, this <laughs> yeah. before you. This, this is what wasn't disclosed to me in the sale. Of the, you yeah, know to not buy a truck from a hound hunter. <laughs> you <laughs> never buy a truck from a hound hunter. You should know that. I already yeah. knew that, but let's hear the, the, the yeah, after there. the fact disclosure. Yeah. Well, Eric Patton and I went up there and hunted with Jason and Brandon, and, uh, we end up treating this fox and Jason and Brandon went to the tree and we, Eric and I were going to bring the trucks around and, uh, Jason said, go all the way down to the main road, make a ride, come up to the next road, make a ride. All right. So I'm in his truck 
Yeah, he just got all brand the graphics my, put on. <laughs> his his truck is like now the double now the, the now W truck. Yeah, the, yeah, the W dog. It was it was a palm tree truck then. <laughs> and so I look on the GPS and I go, why would I do that when this road right here would take you right to the tree? I mean, they're right off the road. So I take off down this road. Well, I figured it out. It was solid brush scratching from mirror to mirror. This hard mean, brush. Was, that manzanita. <laughs> yeah, it was bad, bad road. Like. It was thick. I'll tell you what, so I, I came I mean, up. What can you do? You're already on the road, you know? And I'm like, man, I probably should, probably should listen to what he said, you know? <laughs> so I'm driving down this crash and the crap out of this truck and finally make it to him. And they're pretty much standing right next to the road. And I pull out there and he sees me coming down this road. He, the look on his face. <laughs> he goes over there at the flashlight, shines on this truck, and he goes, what did you do to my truck? I go, well, now it's broke in. You know, they know you're a hunter now. <laughs> yeah, the, those scratches are still in it. And I remember oh, seeing those man. headlights after I... I felt so bad. I mean, it's a brand new Dodge pickup. I don't know how old it was, but you didn't have it very long. No, it was I know you just got the new. graphics put on it. <laughs> yeah, I saw those headlights yeah, come around the corner. Listened. And I thought to myself, what the... You know what? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even want to look at it, man. He goes, what did you do to my truck? Walked over there and just the whole side just scrapped, pinstripe. That's why so Jason's that's all the nice scratches guy. got in. Jason's a nice guy. You know, I'd have left your ass in the woods. <laughs> be like, hey, have a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so from now on, if anything scratched or dented on that truck, buddy, it's when Michael took it for a that, test. That's the excuse. Yeah, you blame huh? it on me. Oh, it can look fresh, but it was no, it's not. Yeah, I felt I felt bad a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it up to you someday, man. Yeah, you can come scratch mine if you can find a spot that's not scratched already. <laughs> Right on. That's my train wreck story. It has to do with pickup too. Oh yeah, they always do. <laughs> oh yeah. So so I'm over. I'm over on the Oregon coast. We're doing a, a cougar study over there, and there was I don't know three or four of us town guys over there, and you know it's most of the time wet and miserable, muddy and stuff over there. And of course we're in behind gates and stuff trying to collar these cougars. Well. David Walker puts a cougar in a tree. So the biologist is the next one there. And, and of course, they park up on the top of this, what looked like a pretty good road, and, and they walk in the tree. Well, I'm on my way there to help because it takes, it's nice to have a couple of extra guys around when you're putting those collars on away in them and doing all the study stuff. Yeah. And so I get a radio call from David and he goes, Hey, this cat is hung up in the tree. I need you to stop at my pickup and grab my tree climbing gear. Cause that's what he does for a living. And so yeah. grab my spurs and my ropes and stuff and come on into this tree. And, uh, I'm going to have to climb up there and lower it down. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, so I'm hustling. So I stop at his truck, grab the climbing gear. And I, I'm like, where they park, the road keeps going. And I'm like, well, why did everybody park here? I don't understand. <laughs> it looks fine. It's just this grassy, it's like, looked like a park road. It was this perfect lawn. And I'm like, well, I can drive that. So I'm in the Tacoma. So I just yeah. go down around the hill, down the, around the corner. Shit, I'm getting pretty close to the tree. You know, I'm looking at the GPS. Like, oh, I'm, I'm like 600 yards, 500 yards. And I come around the corner. And of course, I'm staring at the GPS. And I look up and there's what appears to be a mud puddle that spans the entire width of the road. And I'm like, Oh, you know, and of course naturally you, you apply the brakes. Well, as soon as I hammer the brakes, the truck starts sliding. Cause I'm on like grass <laughs> faster. Right. And I swear it's banana peels. I mean, this truck slid farther than I've ever slid in the snow probably. 
and I'm just sliding yeah. like slow motion towards this puddle. And I'm really not that worried about it at this point. But I'm thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to hit that going at speed because I, I may have been moving at, you know, 20 miles an hour trying to hustle down to get to this tree. And I literally am standing on the brake pedal, like out of the seat, like, oh, God, please stop. And right, I mean, I, I guess if you press the brake any harder, it's going to help you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. But <laughs> at six inches further, I wouldn't have gone in. But the truck just almost stops and then kaplunk into this puddle. Well, when it kaplunked in, I'm now on the frame rails underneath of the under the driver's door. And this yeah. the water like oh. comes up over the hood and I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, well and now I'm like, <laughs> ah, I gotta go to the tree to help you know, we'll get this out of here later. And I try to put it in reverse and it is there's there's no coming out of this thing. I'm like, oh, okay, well. So I try to open the door and I can't even open the driver's door because it's now opening into the ground. And so I I roll the window down and bail out the window, grab the climbing gear, and I go to the tree. So we go to the tree, and, and this is like a double train wreck because at the tree, we now have this pretty good-sized male cougar hanging by his hip joints in a fork in a tree, like up quite a ways. And so I get David his stuff, and he's starting to put on his stuff, and the biologist is, is getting nervous that this cat is not going to do well because it's hanging upside down and i mean it hadn't been five or seven minutes since it's been out but he was worried so they decide to reverse the drug on the cat and let it let it wake up because he's worried it's going to like strangle out so the cat finally comes down out of the tree onto the ground well now it's like half drugged half waking up and we're back scrambling trying to make sure and dogs are tied up everywhere and it was it was a mess and so this cat gets his wits about him about just all of a sudden, and he kind of makes a dash at the biologist. Well, the biologist was savvy enough to put another dart in him. And as I'm backing, this cat is chasing everybody, and I'm taking a video, just probably shouldn't have been. Because what else are you going to do whenever shit's going south? <laughs> yeah, grab your a phone. Video. Yeah, so I'm videoing whatever. Well, I'm backpedaling because this cat's coming at us. Well, I fall in the river. I back off the, off the bank because we were right on the bank of the river. I fall in the riverbank down in the deal. And so then everybody's like, just stay in there, Brad. Stay in. It's right above you. It's right above you. So I'm staying down in the edge of the water, down over the edge, you know, like, okay, I don't want to get attacked by this half-drug cougar. And so finally I'm like, well, I'm just going to sneak down the bank a ways and then come up in a different spot. So I get down, you know, I'm kind of crawling along. And all of a sudden I come up over the bank and there's just this cat is like, six feet from my face and we're like eye to eye and it's giving you the the half like it looks like a drunk guy that's had a lot to drink at about 4 30 in the morning and his head's moving around and whatever and i just I, I was like i felt like one of those like cartoons where i just slowly dip back down under the bank of the river and crawl back to where i was so anyway Jeez. we finally get the cat darted and i'm they're they're doing the study stuff whatever and i look at david walker and i go hey uh when we get done with this, I said, I, I'm going to need you to help me pull my truck out. I'm kind of stuck where I parked. And Dave goes, oh, okay, no problem. So we walk out <clears throat> and we get to the road and my truck now, I had left it, right, in the hole. Well, when we get to the road. Halfway in the hole. You're, you're like the front tires? Yeah. Yeah, that's the front tires and the front. You know, it wasn't bad. Well, we get to the road and I'm like, and Dave's like, what? So like, what do you mean stuck? And I'm like, oh, you, you'll have to see it. I kind of slid into a hole. And we get up in the road, and now the truck, 
while I wasn't there, has slid further in, and it's literally like a 20-degree angle. The back end is in the air. The rear axle is completely off the ground. The water is now level with, like, the, the, the windshield. It's in the – so the front end of my cab, if the truck is sitting on its nose, is yeah. totally in the water now. Holy cow, man. So Engine completely submerged. Yeah, yeah. And so, obviously, you know, don't start it. Don't do it. And I'm really worried now because I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we dig a hole on the side of this road and let, like, half of the water out of the hole. And I, I tried winch. We tried three full-size Ford pickups trying to pull this Toyota out of a hole. And they couldn't even budget because that road was so slick that they would just spin. So... We finally, I had to, I had to find a tow truck. The problem was David Walker used to drive tow trucks when he was young, and he goes, "A normal tow truck's not getting in here." I know we're getting out. He's like, "We're gonna have to find one of those yeah, four wheel yeah. drive special tow trucks." So we drive up and <laughs> the expense, yeah, go find the expensive yeah, the ones. Yeah, right. So we finally find this guy, and and the funniest part is, I if you've seen that Disney movie, the Cars movie, the tow mater, like the old red tow truck. Yeah. This is literally yeah. what shows up to pull me out is this old <laughs> red Ford jacked up on big balloon tire. It's like a four wheel drive truck with a tow setup on the back. So the, the tow mater <laughs> showed up and we finally go. I mean, this is like hours and hours of waiting. And the guy had to come from like two and a half hours away and whatever. And he pulls in there and rigs everything up, whatever. And finally, I had to get in the truck. And I am sitting in the driver's seat, and from my knees down is in the water. And they pull me out of there, and they had to drain the water out of everything and whatever. And so I just I had to take that truck home. I had to drain all the differentials, change all the oils. I mean, it ended up being a real massive. Do you drive it home, or do you, you did it start? Uh, it, it, after I let it, we let we towed it out, and we drug it to a flat and we let it sit there overnight and just let like kind of let everything drain out and whatever. And then we went back and it did start and I did drive it back home, but then I had it completely <laughs> gone through. I ended up having to put a new starter in it. It ruined the winch. I had to rebuild the winch and whatever, but basically I, I got a lot of nice repairs done on the truck as, as a result of that. But I, I nicknamed that, yeah. I nicknamed that incident taco soup. Cause I basically put my, Tacoma in a bowl of water. And it ended up with sticker USS Tacoma. Oh god, we ended up sticking a stick down to see like what how is this hole so deep? It was seven feet. We had a like a cutoff pole that we stuck just down sink in there. Hole. It was just a washed out like a I think it was So next time David parks on the side of the road, you're not you're not scooting around right. Yeah, exactly. So the next time I go to the coast, which there's lots of learning curve going over the coast, but the next time I go over there and everybody's parked in the spot, that's where you park. Yep. <laughs> you park right behind them. Yeah. The other question I got to know is, what would you send that truck to auction, or do you see some old guy running around with a truck? Oh no, I sold it. Never been off the highway. Yeah, never been off the. I got it. I got it all polished yeah, that's up. The, that's the one that we drove back from Oregon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the one you sent me in all the way from your house yeah. back to California. Oh, I was in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> well, we made it anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that guy that bought did, it. Did you sell that to a hound guy or not? Uh, yeah, a friend of mine bought it. We flew out there to Brad's house and then uh, drove the truck back. That's funny. Is that is that seriously what happened to this truck, Brad? That's Brad, what, yeah, that's Brad, really Brad sweating right now. Did you, this is why you don't do a podcast with Buddy, Brad. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
I know we need to make a disclaimer. All future guests, if you're listening now, just be prepared. We're about done editing out stuff that makes you look bad or incriminating. Brad's going to be texting me me at the end of this, like, hey, could you edit that part out of the story? I don't want to be talking about that truck no more. Oh. (laughs) Who bought it, Coog? Uh, Michael Sorries by Logan's dad. Um, I'll just make sure to share this episode with him. Yeah. Give him oh, Brad's here. address. Oh, hey, I went through that thing. It was better than new. <laughs> the whole thing, Red. That's awesome. That was several years before right I there. ended up selling it. I hunted out of it several more years before I ended up selling it. So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You never buy yeah. trucks from you How Guys. keep telling yourself that, Brad. You just keep telling yourself that. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to close this one down. We will stop. The recording was good. Michael, Brad. Good times. All right, thanks. Yeah, nice talking to you guys.